Uncover from CBC Podcasts brings you award-winning investigations year-round. Infiltrate an international network of neo-Nazi extremists. He ranted with racist language. Discover the true story of the CIA's attempts at mind control. Their objective was to wipe my memory. Or dig into a crypto king's mysterious death and a quarter billion dollars missing. There are deep oddities in this case. With episodes weekly, Uncover is your home for in-depth reporting and exceptional storytelling. Find Uncover wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, it's Tamara. So before we start, just a warning that this episode contains some graphic descriptions of violence and hateful comments towards LGBTQ people. So just listen with care. Today on the show, I'm talking to one of Uganda's most prominent LGBTQ activists, Frank Mugisha. When Frank first came out at the age of 14, being gay in Uganda wasn't a matter of life and death. Frank says his childhood was pretty normal, that it was lonely at times and sometimes people kept their distance, but he still had friends. He was able to go to school and play soccer without having to worry about homophobic violence. But over the last 20 years, things have changed dramatically. Uganda's president, Yuri Museveni, has described gay people as deviant and called for an investigation into homosexuality. This deviant, is he deviant by nature or by nurture? Do you personally dislike homosexuals? Of course, they are disgusting. What sort of people are they? The government has tried to implement increasingly severe anti-homosexuality laws, while the Ugandan public's views on LGBTQ people have hardened more and more. Today, Uganda is one of the most dangerous places in the world to be gay. The country just passed a new anti-homosexuality law that, among other things, makes gay sex punishable by life in prison. Ordinary Ugandans have already been taking the law into their own hands. We've seen society reacting, you know, mob, mob violence, evictions, hate speeches, bullying, threats to life with different people, people getting beaten. This week on the show, I'm talking to Frank about the roots of homophobia in Uganda and what the new law, one of the harshest in the world, might mean for LGBTQ people in the country. I'm Tamara Kendacker, and you're listening to Nothing is Foreign. Frank, hi. Thank you so much for doing this. Uh, congratulations on the award. And I know you're in Toronto right now, so welcome. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. Uh, yes, I'm in Toronto for some political meetings. But also, Rainbow Railroad just gave me a Freedom Award. So I'm really honored to have received it. Yeah, that's amazing. And it sounds like you're really busy. So thank you for squeezing us in. So I want to start with what this new law means in a practical sense. How exactly would this law impact you as a gay man, as someone who advocates for LGBTQ rights? What it means now, it means that 
what we've been struggling against gets worse. For instance, I was witch hunted for almost a year and I couldn't stay at my house. I was getting a lot of death threats. I was getting a lot of um, hate messages. In fact, at some point I had to turn off my phone because of the hate messages that I was getting. And I was singled out by law enforcement and the public. So I was a subject of um, harassment within social media, TikTok and WhatsApp. All these campaigns were by the anti-gay groups. So by the time the legislation was introduced in our parliament and signed by the president into law, because now it is law, I was already vulnerable because of these campaigns that happened around myself and my other colleagues. Why it means now that we are targeted from law enforcement and the public. Yeah, and can you tell me a bit about the provisions in the law that make you a target? So the provisions in the law, number one, and most dangerous is the provision around promotion of homosexuality. And under this, it means anything I do or I speak out in support of the human rights of LGBTQ persons becomes illegal and I could go to prison for 20 years. Speaking out on platforms like this could put me in prison for 20 years. But that's not all. This also punishes the attempts to commit a crime of homosexuality, meaning that from identifying as an LGBTQ person, I could be accused of attempting to commit the crime of homosexuality, which could be criminalized. So there are so many provisions that could criminalize me and my colleagues. The law also makes gay sex punishable by life in prison. And what is the punishment? The maximum punishment is death. So when you commit aggravated homosexuality, the law says you shall be liable to suffer death. The act defines aggravated homosexuality as same-sex relations involving HIV-positive people, minors, and other vulnerable groups, transmitting a terminal illness like HIV through gay sex, even with consent, is an offense punishable by up to 14 years in prison. So some pretty brutal legal changes. How did politicians sell this law to the public? The law is very extreme, and maybe it is important to note that the first draft of the legislation did not have a death penalty and other extreme provisions. All these were amended on the floor of parliament. So that shows you how extreme the members of parliament are. But how did they sell this legislation to the public? By, uh, first of all, advocating and using so much disinformation and propaganda and conspiracy theories. So when I mentioned that I was a target and singled out, they said my organization, Sexual Minorities Uganda, which was shut down last year, recruits children into homosexuality. And so they made that case that this legislation is here to protect children. And they said we are advocating for Western values We are promoting imperialism in Uganda, and homosexuality is Western and not Ugandan. 
have our morals, we'll protect our children. And we are making this law, we are making this law for ourselves, we are making this law for our children, we are making this law for the children of our children. This country will start- And no one wants to be seen as, you know, promoting neocolonialism or Western values in Uganda. Everyone wants to be seen as protecting the culture and the values of Africa. So that is the narrative they used to sell the legislation to the public. Right. And the other thing that I was wondering if I could get your thoughts on this, I've seen a lot of gay rights activists say that these campaigns have also been a way for politicians to distract the public from other issues like corruption and debt and that politicians really benefit from kind of ramping up this rhetoric. What do you think of that? Do you think that's true? Uh, Definitely, yes, that is true. But politicians take advantage of any existing propaganda that will help them get a lot of support from their constituencies. And this is one of those. The politicians know that being homophobic, transphobic, and anti-gay helps them get a lot of support. So they build on that narrative to get their own support. And I've seen you say that the Ugandan population has been radicalized to fear and hate homosexuals. And this law does seem to have a lot of public support. I wonder if you can talk about what the discourse around this looks like online. Um, I've kind of looked at it and it's pretty vicious. And I just wonder if you can give people a sense of the kinds of things that people say. It is vicious. It is extreme. And a lot of conspiracy theories that gullible Ugandans, unfortunately, believe. The narrative of recruiting children into homosexuality, and they make up a lot of misinformation. They show videos, extreme videos, of extreme sexual acts, and they say this is what the Western world wants to bring to Uganda. People get angry because people want to protect their cultures. People want to protect children. So they get angry if they see any LGBTQ person. They believe this person is after children. I've seen homophobia characterized as a positive thing. It's almost seen as an honorable thing in Uganda because you're you're seen as someone who's protecting the culture, right? What has it been like to live as an LGBTQ plus person in Uganda in recent years amid this kind of discourse and the push for these very harsh laws? What kind of treatment have people been facing? People who live in Uganda and are openly gay or perceived to be gay or living in the closet as LGBTQ persons, they're at extreme risk, one, of violence, um, number two, prison, and then the risk of being outed. And if you get outed in the newspapers, because this happened, they publish lists of names and addresses of people and their workplaces. And when this happens, many people who get outed lose their jobs, they lose friends, they lose family, and some have been violated or arrested. 21-year-old Shamim Priti, not her real name, has taken shelter in this Kampala safe space for the past three years. 
She says her mother kicked her out of her home when Shamim was 16 and called the police because she is transgender. When they took me to the police, my mother was there waiting for me. They really mistreated me. There was an officer who was very homophobic. He got a hold of me and beat me up. He called in the media and in front of the press, they took my clothes off. But there's also social exclusion where people are denied services. So there has been a broad range of violations towards LGBTQ persons, you know. And it ranges if someone is openly gay, someone is in the closet, the risk is almost the same. Because the fear, LGBTQ persons who are in the closet, the fear, the constant fear every day that their families might find out or they might get outed or their boss will find out, you know, that constant fear is what LGBTQ persons live in every day. Five years ago, Benson was kicked out of his home by his father when he found out he was gay. He was just a high school student. The new bill affects me a lot. For example, I can't walk anywhere. Even our neighbors threaten to kill us. I am going to tell you a story that a powerful state doesn't want you to know about tens of thousands who have disappeared. Once they get into the hands of the military, they will be tortured brutally. It's a story so dangerous to tell that for some, it's meant ending up on a kill list. She was seen as a dangerous political actor and a threat to Pakistan's security, but she was a local hero. The Kill List, a six-part investigative podcast, available now. Get early access to episodes at cbc.ca slash listen or by subscribing to the CBC True Crime Premium channel on Apple Podcasts. We've touched on this a little bit, but I wonder if we can go a bit deeper. I want to talk about where this fear comes from. And before we get to the external influences, can you tell me a bit about the cultural and religious makeup of Uganda and what we might need to know about the Ugandan cultural understanding of LGBTQ people. So the Ugandan cultural understanding of LGBTQ people is that it is un-African. It is un-African to be gay. It is Western. And this, unfortunately, stems from the fact that Ugandans look at sexual acts, when they think about an LGBTQ person, the thinking is that a man cannot be submissive and act as a woman because men in most of the African cultures, men look at women as inferior. That is is seen as an African. How would a man, how would an African man want to be submissive as a woman? Because of the extreme violence, culture, and fear. Many LGBTQ persons who are in Africa, they don't come out. They are in the closet, and some live double lives. So many Africans and Ugandans have not come face-to-face with an openly LGBTQ person. So they only rely on the knowledge and the misinformation from the media. And unfortunately, the media has peddled all these conspiracy theories and misinformation to only limit 
the LGBTQ person around the sexual act and not looking at sexual orientation and sexuality as a whole. And talking about sex in Africa is a taboo because in Africa, sex was left to certain and a certain setting of certain people. In Uganda, they are called sengas, like elder aunties, you know, who are allowed to have this conversation in society. President Museveni addressed the members of parliament briefly on homosexuality. Sex in Uganda is confidential. Even the heterosexuals, they do it confidentially. And then religion. Religion is, again, we were taught many times, you know. I, I grew up when I couldn't even mention sexual reproductive health, rather organs. I had animal names for them. And this is, I learned in Sunday school. So you, you're taught to stay away from certain subjects. And then religion comes in and tells Ugandans homosexuality is bad. And you have majority of Ugandans having most of their belief in the church. And to make it worse, that we have a big unemployed population, that their only activity is to go to church on Sunday. So people listen to the message from the priests. During a two-day children's conference organized by Pastor Christian Chimuli of Lion of Judah Victory Ministries, it was disclosed that many children are troubled by the vice of same sex. Pastor Chimuli says it is the duty of parents to come out boldly and educate their children about the dangers of homosexuality. It is a disease. It's like HIV. It is eating. It is destroying. It is killing. And definitely... The faith in Uganda tells people homosexuality shouldn't be accepted. And Uganda is very faithful. We have majority, about um, over 80% of the population Christian. That is majorly Catholic and Anglican. Ugandans are really very faithful. Mm-hmm. Right. So you have a, a deeply religious society where talking about sex is taboo, and then you have all of this disinformation and this idea that homosexuality is a concept that's imported from the West. And just building off of that, I was reading this piece in the conversation about what drives homophobia in Uganda. And the author, he writes that a lot of Ugandans associate homosexuality with sexual freedom and choice and individualism, which is in sharp contrast to this culture that emphasizes the importance of hierarchical family relationships. And in Uganda, sexuality is about family and kinship relationships. Does that line up with what you've heard from people or what your understanding is of the view of homosexuality in Uganda? Uh, Yes, yes, totally. And I've read our progress on the work around HIV and AIDS. Uh, We almost, Uganda was very good and, you know, winning milestones. We almost lost this progress because then religious groups felt like some campaigns around HIV and AIDS were um, uh, promoting sexual freedom. And young people had magazines and newspapers that we're talking about sexual freedom. Some of them were candid and progressive, and religious leaders felt like, no, we can't allow this. And many did advocate for Uganda to abandon our programs of abstinence, be faithful, and use condoms, to only limit it to abstinence and be faithful. 
because they felt like if you add on um, the C for condom use, then you're encouraging promiscuity and sex. And this again relates to homosexuality where LGBTQ persons are visible and express themselves the way they want. That is the fear that this is sexual freedom and people aggressively fighting that. Mm-hmm. Right. Tell me a bit about the influence of American evangelical groups in Uganda. How much of a force have they been in this movement and what kinds of things have they been doing? American evangelicals, or not all evangelicals, the extreme American evangelicals who are are radical, have influenced our politicians, religious leaders, and unfortunately the public. Because in some sometimes they have gone to Uganda and held big conferences and f- filled up stadiums with people. I remember uh, one low angle from Kansas City asked Ugandans to fast, you know, before he came. And when he was in Uganda, he said, Uganda is ground zero. This is the place where homosexuality should be fought the most. Right now that homosexual agenda is sweeping into our education system. And parents are losing their rights over the education of their children. I believe there's only one hope. Help us, God. Help us, God. And you're talking to people who have been fasting. They have also come with projects that support orphaned children, that provide clean water, uh, medical services, education to Ugandans. And so for Ugandans, they look at the American evangelicals as saviors who are doing very good projects, who are supporting families. And they are friends in high political places in the country, very good friends in religious leaders, in parliament. So they are welcomed with a red carpet. The gay movement is an evil institution. That's goal, the goal of the gay movement is to defeat the marriage-based society and replace it with a culture of sexual promiscuity. His presentation, part of which was broadcast on Ugandan television, focused on what Lively called the gay movement and its agenda. Every talking point of Scott Lively was in that bill. Scott Lively is bringing the narrative that there is a movement to recruit young people into homosexuality. It's sort of like a give back. We'll give back to you whatever you ask of us. If you want us to fight homosexuality, we will do that. Because you're giving us faith. You're having all these problems. You need God. We are going to build a church. We're going to provide spiritual guidance and healing to you. So the influence is deep-rooted. And they work with communities on the grassroots, in the villages. They live with communities. They eat with communities and pray with communities. It is sort of like indoctrination, I would say. So they're doing a lot to promote these ideas, but it sounds like they've also found fertile ground in the society that's 
already pretty conservative and deeply religious, right? And the last thing I wanted to ask you about when it comes to the roots of this and how these ideas are being promoted is I wanted to know a little bit about the media. You mentioned this one newspaper that published the names of of homosexuals. And I wonder if you could just tell me about the media landscape and the role that newspapers like Red Pepper have played in vilifying homosexuality and LGBTQ people. The media was so vicious in the past. Fortunately, the mainstream media, the newspapers, don't have as much influence as they used to in the past because of social media. And thank God for that. Because then we are able to do our work and counter some of these narratives. But the influence is still big. And of course, I might be proud of social media, but social media has also been used the other way to promote conspiracy theories, bullying, harassment of LGBTQ persons. And unfortunately, whatever happens on social media is replicated on many of our local media. The biggest media in Uganda, it is FM radio stations. Because in the villages and rural areas, there is no social media, there is no internet. Uh, It's limited. It's there, but limited, I would say. But then radio stations, FM radio stations, are constant. And so some of the hate messages and bullying and the misinformation ends up on FM stations. Unfortunately, progressive voices don't make it to the mainstream media because, again, mainstream media will only promote propaganda that is believed to be uh, the, the norm, believed to be accepted by the Ugandan society. And then when you go back to the outing of people that happened in the red paper and other tabloids, this created the biggest biggest problems for the LGBTQ community because people believed this information, people were witch hunting LGBTQ persons, and in fact, this was heavily, heavily supported by extreme anti-gay groups, including some of the Christian evangelicals. It seems like it's pretty dangerous for you to be in Uganda under these circumstances. Do you ever consider leaving or is that something that you've thought about recently? I know I don't consider leaving at all. We are already in the process of um, fighting the law, fighting it in our constitutional court. There's a lot of work to do in terms of changing hearts and minds of Ugandans. There's still a lot of important work to be done, but also most importantly, the protection of the community, working to protect you know, the most vulnerable community and speaking out. So definitely, I do not think that, I don't plan at all on leaving Uganda. I am very optimistic that things will get better. One, because I see that many young people in Uganda are only influenced by the anti-gay groups but they are beginning to question the misinformation and the conspiracy theories. I mean, this can't go on forever. And so at some point, all these are going to be very, very old views. So I have a lot of hope. But most importantly, the Ugandan LGBT community is very resilient. We have a lot of challenges and we always rise up 
from those challenges. Very optimistic that at some point, it might not take many years to see so much change in Uganda. I think that's a good place to end. Frank, thank you so much for your time and all your insight. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right, that's all for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Our producers are Joyta Shangupta and Yvette Sin. Our sound designer is Graham McDonald with help this week from Evan Kelly. Our senior producer is Elaine Chow. The executive producer of Nothing is Foreign is Nick McCabe-Locos. Nothing is Foreign is a co-production of CBC News and CBC Podcasts. Our theme music is by Joseph Shabison. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at CBC Podcasts. I'm Tamara Kandacker. Thank you so much for listening, and I will talk to you next week. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.